morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? We've got our college community in the house. Good. Well, it's good to see y'all this morning. Uh, my name is Brett Powell. I work with uh, Campus Outreach Ministries uh, and do ministry at SEMO. I'm the director there <clears throat> at, at Southeast Missouri State. And uh, many of you have seen my family at the beginning of the service uh, up in the front running around. Uh, my wife, Anna Joy, and my two girls, Selah, is two years old, and Naomi is 10 months. Naomi just started walking slash waddling. She's kind of got that thing going uh, right now. And uh, we, we bought her some squeaky shoes. By we, I mean my wife. And uh, here's what I mean by that is when she walks around, you hear her squeak, and that is cute for about five minutes, uh, and then it starts to weigh on you. <laughs> but my wife loves them, so we keep them. So... No, on a serious note, though, it's, we have a lot of fun, though. It's a privilege to be with you this morning, guys, and to open up God's Word. And so we're going to pray. But before we pray, I want to ask you to do this. Just for the next 35 minutes or so, I want you to, to ask the Lord in your heart of hearts where you're sitting, wherever you're at this morning, wherever you're coming in, God, would you meet with me this morning? Even if you're here and you're investigating and you don't even have a personal relationship with Christ, just ask Him, God, would you speak to me this morning? wherever you're at. So can we do that together this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege and the honor to open up your holy, divine, perfect word. And I ask God that you would speak today to us, that we would meet you in your word. And I ask, Father, that God, I would decrease and that you would increase. Father, that you would be working in lives in this room wherever they're at. And Father, those in this room that don't know you, would you open their heart that they may have a personal relationship with you today, this very hour. For those in this room right now that have been in a relationship with you and they've been struggling with a choice sin, Father, would you break in and crush strongholds today by your grace, by your mercy, through your word. God, would there be a heightened sense for those in here that love you, that are walking passionately for you? Would there be an overwhelming amount of joy and pride and bragging on you this morning, God, that fills their hearts? I pray, God, that you would be here. As a psalmist says in Psalms 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. And as you prayed in the garden before the hour of death, Jesus, John 17.17, Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. So I commit this time to you. I commit this service to you. And God, what I I say that is true, may it fall on good soil. And what is not of you, Father, may it fall to the ground like water. I ask this by your grace and mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you got your copy of God's Word, uh, turn to Psalms 19. Uh, That's where we're going this morning. We're going to cover this whole psalm, believe it or not, here in our our few minutes together. And we're going to read Psalms 19. If uh, you don't have a Bible... Um, or a phone app, uh, go ahead and, and, and grab a Bible around you. There should be one in a pew around you uh, right now. And so we're going to read Psalms 19. I love hearing that. I love hearing the, the pages turn uh, as God's people open up His Word. So here's Psalms 19, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens. 
its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. By his grace and mercy this morning, may it be preached to you. So we start, we see the heavens declare the heavens, or the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork there in verse 1. And as I was looking at this and preparing for our time together, I was, was thinking about, and how do the heavens, how does the earth, the sky proclaim God's handiwork? And there's two things I would point, point your uh, focus to, and these are just two of many things that the Lord shows off uh, in. Uh, but the first would be this, is I've been doing a study on clouds. Yes, clouds. And I know some of you are like, why would you study clouds? And because I'm, I'm amazed, okay, at this, uh, that uh, clouds are the system that God uses to bring about evaporation. He takes water from large bodies of, of, of water, the oceans and lakes, and he, and he evaporates it into the clouds. And then uh, he, he makes it uh, form into a cloud, and then he moves it with his winds all over the United States, all over the world, to water the grounds, to nurture. That, that, the complexity of that system is staggering when you get into it. But I, I began to ask the question, how much does a cloud weigh? <laughs> and... Uh, can you ask that question? I don't know if you can really ask that question. It's a cloud. And, uh, but I went and did some study on it just to see if there was anything, and there actually was some things. And so if you want this equation, let me know. I'll, I'll give it to you after the service. Um, um, and so actually, I'll just point you to James Green. He'll let you know uh, the equation. But on a serious note, though, uh, they said the average cloud, just your average cloud, weighs 2.2 billion pounds. 2.2 billion pounds is what the average cloud weighs. They say, how is it a 2.2 billion Weight cloud, an airplane can shoot right through it, no problem. Have y'all ever asked yourself that question? That's an anomaly, okay? To put that in perspective of how much 2.2, uh, you know, billion pounds are, if you will, uh, that's just saying a blue well weighs 160 tons. Let's just say a blue well weighs 160 tons. It's about 6,300 blue wells, and you're looking at a cloud. The complexity of our Creator of our God is staggering. Furthermore, you pan out of earth and you, and you look at this ball, if you were an astronaut, which very few of us are going to be, we may have some in this area, uh, but, but you pan out and you look at earth, it's spinning on an axis that we can't see. Really, spinning on an axis that we can't see. Uh, it's floating in space. <laughs> the earth is floating in space. And did you know that the earth is spinning at about 1,000 miles per hour. So right now, 
you're sitting on a ball, in a ball, that's spinning 1,000 miles per hour, and yet you're able to sit there still, stable, secure. That's crazy to think about the complexities that God has in his creation. So when it says the skies proclaim his handiwork, it's showing you the complexity of God. It's showing you the power of God. It's showing you the placement of God, that he is called to be the forerunner, that he's called to be the center of everything, and he's at the center of everything. The word that David uses for God in verse 1 is, is El. He doesn't even use his formal name for creator. Elohim means creator God. David uses the most generic, general term for, for God. He says El. Why would he do that? I take him to mean this. He does that because he is packing and unpacking here for us the first six verses that God is the God of general revelation. That God is revealing himself in creation, and it's called common grace, that every single human being can look at God through creation, and they can begin to see who he is and begin to ask questions about him. And uh, so he uses the word El. You'll see as as the psalm goes on, verses 7 through 14, he begins to use a different name for God, and we're going to get to that. And so here we find ourselves in verses 2 or 3. It says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. He's saying that God is continually proclaiming his glory and his handiwork. Continually. You can walk outside right now. It's going on. You can go to bed and wake up in the morning. When you wake up and you look at the clouds and the sky, it's going on. God is always talking this is very interesting. What sparked me to want to read this chapter and study through this chapter, I was listening to a, an interview with Richard Dawkins, and they asked him, he's an atheist, they asked him, they said, uh, you know, Richard, what happens if just by chance you meet God? He's like, well, in the unlikely event that I meet God, there's two things I would say to God. The first thing is this. I would ask him, well, which one are you? Which God are you? Are you the God of the Bible? Or are you... Are you the God of Muslim, or which God are you? He said, the second thing I would ask him is, why did you go through such great pains to hide yourself? This is a man who's made a living to study creation. And what he's done is he's moved the creator completely out of the equation, and he's explained it away with knowledge. And yet, the Bible clearly says in verse 2, night by night, God reveals knowledge. Night by night, God is revealing knowledge. He is speaking continually. You know, when I, was a, when I was a little boy, I had a very bad temper on me, and it was very aggressive. And uh, I, would, uh, I would get into, you know, get into some scuffles with my older brother and younger brother, and we would fight a little bit here and there. And, uh, and I, my mom and dad would send me to my room, which was bad for me. Like, I would just rather take the spanking. Uh, I wanted the spanking. I didn't want to get the timeout because I just didn't do timeouts well. So I go to the room, and I'm throwing pillows around, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my temper tantrum. And I remember this as a young boy, six or seven years old. I remember sitting there in the room and watching the beam of light come through the window. And I remember watching the, the speckles of dust dance around in that beam of light. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I remember thinking, there's something bigger out there right now. And there was this, there was this sense that's in the core of me, there's a sense of fear. Something's bigger. And, uh, and, and that's how God began to engage me in conversation. He began to use his creation to engage me in, I'm telling you that I'm bigger. You know, it was in, in uh, high school uh, that I was doing, uh, I was at a, a service with, with a high school uh, ministry. And I, I went to, I didn't grow up in church, as that's my background. Uh, but I went to this high school ministry uh, because of two reasons. One, 
Uh, my friends told me there was good-looking girls there. I know it's superficial. And about, I thought, okay, all right, I'll do that. And the second thing is they told me I could play church basketball, which I love basketball. I'll play as much basketball as I could possibly play. So this is, I'll go. I'll go to church. I'll endure a 45-minute sermon or whatever you got so that I can be in church, okay? Maybe some of you are here for the same reason. And here's what happened to me. Uh, I was sitting there, and there was a 22-year-old guy who was, who was preaching. And I remember this. Uh, he had struggled with cancer and was dying. Got to the point where he thought, I'm going to die, man. And so he, he asked the Lord, God, would you save my soul? Would you save my soul? And God did. But then God miraculously healed his body. And a couple days later, he walked out of that hospital. And the doctors were like, I don't know what happened. This is just, I don't know. The Lord just did a work. And I say it to you because I remember him saying this question to me. He said, man, do you want to know God? Because if you do, he's real. He will reveal himself to you. And he ended the time, and I remember everybody, all my friends were talking with the girls, and they're trying to get phone numbers and, you know, and all that stuff. And I remember walking outside by myself and looking up at the clouds, and and it was an overcast that day. And I remember saying to God, if you are real, God, if you are really real, would you just reveal yourself to me? Would you just let me know that you're there? And in that moment, the cloud moved, and the sun came beaming through and hit me. It's like like one of those moments in the movies, like, ah. You know, you kind of had that moment. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember thinking, you're here. And God was proclaiming, I'm here right now. Right now I'm going to speak to you. Now, did God move that cloud just on my prayer request alone? I don't think so. But was God showing me his handiwork in the sky? Absolutely. God was showing me his handiwork in the sky. So we see that there's a continual uh, praising of God that's going on in all of creation. But there's also an abundant uh, praising of God that goes on in all creation. And it says this in verse 4, that his voice, the voice of, of God being glorified through creation, goes out through all the earth and, and the, through all the earth, get my place here, for all the earth and the works to the end of the world. His voice goes out to all the earth and to the ends of the world. And, uh, you know, I would say to you that God is proclaiming to all the nations, it is abundantly clear that he is consistently making himself known in creation. And he does it in abundance everywhere. It never runs out. He's always saying it continually, and he's saying it with authority. Everywhere you look in creation, it testifies uh, to what God has done. First, if you look at the stars, when I was preparing for this about a month ago, I started preparation for this. I walked out of the back of the church, out of my office, and it was a clear sky, and, I, and, and it was dark in the area that I was in, and I could just see the stars. And I just would remember thinking, you are so powerful. You know every single one of these stars. You know how many stars are in the sky, and I can't even count them. You know, if we were to just take in here just for today and try to count every hair on your head, all the people in this room, it would take us all day to do that, and multiple people helping in that. Now take that and multiply that out with all the people of all the earth and the hairs on their head and every thought they've ever had. And every action they've ever done, God knows it all. He knows it all. And, and so it's abundantly clear. Uh, so we see with the human body that he is all-wise God. He's all-wise creator. And the way that he's caused your bodies to function, the way that he calls, causes cells to work, uh, the, the complexity of your human body. There's a hundred systems in your body right now that if they didn't function at the same time, you would die. That very breath of oxygen that you just took, that just went to your lungs and is now being distributed by your blood to the rest of the members of your body, 
God gave that very breath to you. Do you remember that? Do you praise him for that? I want to make you mindful of that today, that this creator is complex. When you look, I challenge you to look at the petals of, fl- of a flower, the blade of grass, snowflake, intricacies of an atom, the nature of light, the physical laws of gravitational attraction, the second law of thermodynamics or relativity, all testify to a divine mind that God has. And the complexity of it is incredible. It's staggering. This is the God that me and you will stand before. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says it like this. This is what Paul says. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Hear that last part. So that they are without excuse. Paul is addressing this one thing. Because God is continually making his name known, because he's abundantly giving us opportunities to see him, every single human being, period, will be held accountable to God, to respond to God. That's scary. And yet God says it's so. If we were to look and we were to ask, God would reveal himself even more. So no one feels the exception. Then David begins to shift us, moving in verse 5 and 6, to looking at the sun, one of God's greatest achievements and in, in, in givings to, to planet Earth. Now David at that time did not know that the sun was made up of a bunch of gases that were exploding like nuclear activity and that it takes eight minutes from the surface of the sun to hit the Earth so that you can have sun-kissed skin or that you could be warm or that you could have light for the day. You know, David was able to see a little bit of that, but he, he didn't know all of that, and yet he still worshiped God for that. Why did he worship God? I have to think that David was probably, maybe I, we don't know in this psalm as he wrote this, we don't know if he was being chased at that time by, by King Saul and, and to be murdered. We don't know uh, in this psalm if, if, he was, if he had a kingdom at this point, okay? What we do know is this, that, save, that David is probably making observations of the sun rising and the sun setting. And this is what he says. He says, the sun rises like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a bridegroom leaving his changer, chamber. In 2009, I got married to my wife. And when it was time to, to come out of the chamber, if you will, the, the room, to go and stand in front of the church for my wife to walk down the aisle, when it was that time, I didn't go, okay, I, I guess I'll do it. You know, it's like, no, I came sprinting out of that room. In fact, for me personally, I actually went looking for the pastor. And uh, me and my, my, my best man, and this was an awkward moment, and we walk in and I open the door and he's kind of putting on his robe and him and his wife are like looking at me. At, you know, and it's just this awkward moment. But I was so excited to go get my wife. I'm like, come on, pastor, let's go. Like, put your robe on. Let's get this thing on the road. Let's get this show on the road. I was so excited at that time to 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 be with my wife, and he's giving that picture. The sun comes up, and and a youthful expectation and strength saying, I'm going to glorify God today. There's a power in the way that the sun rises. He he goes on, you know, with this, he says, he's like a strong man running its course with joy. The sun is like a strong man running its course with a joy. What's he saying there? Have you guys ever watched the Olympics where someone runs a mile, and they run it sub four-minute mile? I mean, that's impressive, okay? But they come across the line, and then they start jogging around the stadium, blowing kisses to people and drinking water, and they, they take an interview. It's like, what is that? That's impressive. I mean, you just ran it under a four-minute mile, and you got all this energy. You're strong. That's the picture he's given to the sun. The sun is tri- triumphant in finishing its race. 
And who holds the sun up there? And who gives the sun its power? The creator holds it in his hand. It is nothing for him. He just raises it up, lowers it down, all in his hand. That's the God that we are talking about. We then have a, a very unique transition uh, from, from the chapter. In verse 6 to verse 7, it says, check out verse, uh, verse 6. It says, It's rising is from the end of the heavens, the sun, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And then it goes into this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That seems like a very interesting break to me. But it, he's moving it from general revelation to special revelation. C.S. Lewis, uh, who is a writer, and uh, some of you have watched the movies, Narnia, is very instructive in this. This is what he says. Uh, verse 6, nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. The line links the physical creation to the word. For scriptures are likewise penetrating, warming, life-giving, while also searching, testing, and purifying. So C.S. Lewis helps us see the transition that the sun is like a picture of the word. And then he goes into some attributes of God's words. But, but hear the name that he begins to use. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The word he uses for Lord there is Jehovah. It's covenant. It's God's covenantal name. So he moves us from El, God, the most generic general name of general revelation, common grace given to everyone, to God's covenantal name for his covenantal people. And he says the law of the Lord covenantal people is, is perfect. He's saying there is an intimacy. Come near. Come near and hear this law. Let me give you a picture of how God wants us to come to hear his law. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is standing before the burning bush, God says to Moses in endearment, Moses, Moses, come. But then he tells Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground, Moses. He's saying, the one that you're standing before is powerful. He's mighty. He's other than. He's set apart. He's creator. And yet, Moses, I want to talk with you face to face. Do you see the intimacy in that? Do you see the reverence mixed with the intimacy produces worship? The reverence mixed with intimacy produces worship. And that's how God wants us to come into his word and view his word. And so this is, uh, you know, quite frankly, maybe one of the best Hebrew, Hebrew parallelisms in the scriptures. Uh, verses 7 through 9, he's going to use different functions of God's word. And so we're going to explain a couple nuances. Stay with me real quick, though, because these nuances, I'm going to bring it into the living room of your heart, okay? And uh, we're going to talk about application with this. So stay with me on this, okay? But six of them, six terms, six adjectives, six statements of the Bible, what the Bible does. Here we go. Attributes of God's words. The first one is the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's your first one. The Torah is what the word law means there. But it's not just, it's not just the first five books of the, of the Bible. It actually means instruction, the whole instruction of God. How does the whole instruction of God revive the soul? You might ask yourself. It's a good question. Well, here's how. Because it's complete. It addresses every area of life. It addresses those in here right now that are hurting from losing a loved one. Or maybe you've gotten really bad information about your personal health. Or maybe... You're struggling financially. I don't know what your struggle is this morning, but God does, and he's saying his word can address that issue. Maybe there's some in this room right now that have a choice sin that you're holding on to, and it's something that has been eating you alive, and God's saying, I can speak to that sin. Let me speak to that sin. And when we respond to God's word, there is a joy. 
It instructs every area. It revives our soul. This is why Jesus, when he's talking with Satan in Matthew 4, 4, can look at Satan and say, Satan, man will not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's what man will live on. Jesus is even kind of capturing this picture in Matthew 4, 4. Then he goes on to say, the testimony of the Lord is sure, uh, making wise the simple. The testimony is sure. It means that, that he is attesting to God's ways are reality. God's ways are reality. I do a lot of counseling on our campus, and I uh, see this a lot, and I'm just going to use this as an example. This is one of many examples. We see people come to our campus, and, and someone passionately pursuing the Lord, uh, and they begin to date someone who doesn't know Christ. And, uh, and they have a, maybe a mindset of flirt to convert. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date you so I can convert you to be a Christian, and then we can get married and everything's perfect, Okay. And, uh, but it doesn't work that way. Let me, let me tell you why. Because the thing that you have in common maybe right now is movies, maybe a couple friendships. Maybe that's what you have in common. But here's what's going to happen. Look at this, church. God's word is going to continue to sanctify the Christian, make them more like Jesus, make them love Christ. And he's going to continue, as this person doesn't stay neutral to God, they begin to run further and further away from God. And there becomes more and more and more separation. And so God doesn't want you to do that because it's going to ultimately hurt you. I was talking with a good friend of mine who's a mentor to me, and he said this to me. He said, Brett, I've counseled people who feel like they're in hell because they're having to wrestle with their wife over every decision of how they're going to use their finances. He wants to use them for the kingdom. She wants to use them for materials or vice versa, depending on your situation. And yet, so he says, he makes wise the simple. Those that don't know, God can, God, God can bridge that gap. His ways are reality. Now, if you're in a marriage right now where that may be your scenario, God wants you to stay. Continue to pray for your spouse and have the body pray and come and share. And so, uh, so that's just one way that he makes the wise, the simple. He goes on to the next thing. He says the precepts are right, the commandment is pure. Kind of connect these together. The precepts are right, the commandment is pure. The word that basically captures the precepts are right, commandment is pure is orders. God is going to give you your marching orders. Okay, the precepts mean precision, uh, and, and, and the commandments mean authority. Okay, so God wants to give us precision and authority. Uh, the word uh, precepts, why are they right? The word right there is not meaning that they're not wrong. The word means they're trustworthy. They actually help us have a precise path. So Jesus says this terminology in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, the broad, uh, he says, many will enter by the broad gate of destruction, and then few will enter through the what? The narrow gate. Precision. The precepts of God's law takes us to the narrow gate of his word. So this gives us reason to respond to his precepts and commands. He, he goes on to say about the commands, they enlighten our eyes. The picture there is they illuminate our path. Psalms 119.105 says the word of the Lord is like a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, to, it shows me where to step. It shows me where to go. Then he moves us into the fear of the Lord is clean. This is the effect that the word should have on us. It's clean. It affects us uh, to produce and to respond, to become clean. We'll see that in verse 14 when we get there. There's a fear of the Lord that David is feeling to respond to the Lord. And so he says, if something is clean, that means it's not corrupt. Corrupt things decay away. Clean things endure forever. 
So he says, the word, the fear of the Lord will endure forever. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 5, 18. Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When you had your quiet time this morning, then you read, your eyes came across the word, maybe even right now. Did you know the words that you were reading on that paper will never, ever pass away? Did you know that? How would that change the way that you respond to them if we as a church really believe that? It's a a good question for us to be asking. David's getting us there on a response. He goes on to say the rules are true. The rules that he talks about there, they're decrees and judgments and verdicts. Um, Better put, it's the divine evaluation of our thoughts and our actions. That's what the precepts or the the rules are. Uh, are, They're meaning that God is going to judge us. Look right up here at me so that in 200 years from now, you don't come to me and tell me you didn't warn me. I'm looking at you and I'm telling you this. Look, God is going to judge you one day, okay? Every single human being in here, he will judge you. He will bring you before his throne and he will have perfect knowledge. He will know everything you've ever done and his judgment will be absolutely perfect. Now that's frightening and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to give you an opportunity to respond because there's a Jesus Christ, there's Christ who died for your sins who rose on the third day, that you actually may have salvation. And God's saying, come. Hear his rules. I can't abide by these rules, God. And he says, come. Come forth. Be forgiven of your sin today, this very hour. Don't wait any longer. So these are the rules that God says uh, that are true in his decrees, and they're righteous altogether. And then he begins to move into an appreciation of God's word. There's an appreciation that David begins to express in God's word. And I want to I say this to you, uh, you know, in verses uh, 10 and 11, before we, before we do what David did, uh, God's really been work, worked on my heart, the appreciation of his word. The first thing in, in, in March 11, 2011, um, Selah Isabel Powell was born at 1 a.m. in the morning after my wife pushed for two hours to get her out. Poor wife. And uh, I held Selah in one arm. And I held my Bible in the other arm. And the first thing that I said to my daughter when I held her was Joshua 1.8. This is the law of the Lord. Meditate on this law day and night. Do not depart from this law, Selah, and you will be prosperous spiritually. You will be prosperous, Selah. And then I kissed her and I gave her lots of hugs and we all celebrated together. Did the same thing with Naomi last year when she was born on June 19th. The first thing I said to Naomi was this is the law of the Lord. There's an appreciation because I know the law gives life. The law, the, the complete instruction of God is what I mean by law in this instance. And so uh, he moves us into an appreciation of his word. He compares the law to gold. He says, um, he says that it's, it's uh, he says more desired is the law than gold, even much fine gold. What does gold get you? Gold gets you materials. Gold gets you position. Gold gets you possession. And he says, the law is more desirable to me than gold. How could a man who was going to be rich, potentially was rich when he wrote this, say that? Because he understood materials would not fulfill him. He understood that the wealth and the position would not fulfill him because there was one that was behind the law that was much higher, that owned a cattle on a thousand hills. 
He understood the God that he worshipped. And therefore, gold was eclipsed by glory. The gold was eclipsed by the glory of God for David. And then he moves in and he says, his, his, his law is, is sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. It's sweeter than my own personal appetites. It's sweeter than my appetite to sin. And I know some of you right now are going, I wish that was true for me. I feel like I'm in Romans 7, that I do the things I don't want to do. And I'm telling you, God wants that for you. Functionally, he wants that for you. He wants you to act on the fact that he is sweeter. God's word becomes sweeter with a couple of conditions. One, it's typically when we're absolutely desperate. Something's bad's happened. You've gotten arrested. Someone passed away. We're desperate. Now God's got our attention, and his word becomes sweeter than honey. There's nothing more valuable than it. Uh, It also happens when you begin to delight in God, when you press in and you ask God, reveal yourself to me, God, and he begins to show you then you would see that, he, that nothing compares to his word. His word is sweeter than honey. Uh, and so, you know, then he goes on to say this, by his word, your servant is warned. And keeping his word, there is great reward. John Bunyan wrote uh, in, in one of his books, he wrote this quote, and I think it's, it's good for us. He says, the book will keep you, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin, Or sin will keep you from this book. And so he says, love the book because there's a God behind the book. The the book points you to the God of the book. And so he says, love it with all of your heart. Embrace it. When, When God tells you something, respond to it. And that gets us to our last section for application. Verses 12 through 14. When I was a a young Christian in 2003, I walked into a church service. Uh, It was a missions conference. And they was preaching on a uh, Friday night, and there was a fiery preacher named Paul Washer. Some of you may know him. And he was was preaching. And I walked into this statement. This is my first statement hearing Paul Washer. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is his footstool. He says he puts the mountains here. He tells the the, the waters to come no further. And then he looks at me and you, and he says, come. And we say, no. God says, come. And we say no. Now, it's amazing to me that that's the case, but it's the case in my own life too. And and, and David says, may it not be so with me. So he goes on this rant. He says, who can discern his errors, God? Who, Who can really know all the errors that are in them? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. How can God declare you innocent for sin? God is holy He is righteous. His standard's perfect. How can he bridge that gap to declare you innocent? He can't just do that. It's against his own character. So it creates a dilemma. We call it the divine dilemma. God can't just give you grace and not look at your sin. He has to pay the penalty for that sin. How does he do it? Jesus Christ comes, and he dies on a cross, and he raises on the third day so that he could answer the prayer that David had hundreds of years before Christ would even come. That God could say to David, yes, I can say that you're blameless. So he goes on and he responds to God with more uh, prayer. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Let, Let not my sin have dominion over me. Keep me back from these sins, these choice sins in my life. And, and let them not have dominion. 
And, uh, and the thought here is this. It's out of John 8. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you have a choice in right now that you've been wrestling with, God's saying, I will set you free. You will be free from my word. But I would encourage you to respond to God's word. Go look up verses on your particular sin. Set up a structure to respond to that sin. And then get accountability to help hold you accountable. Here's how I'm going to take this sin and eradicate it. To radically amputate the opportunity for this sin. That's what David is saying here. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. I want to radically amputate so that I would produce godliness. God, would you help me do this? He goes on in this and he says, So that I may be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. See, he understood something, church. He understood that if we were to stay in sin, that he would be committing cosmic treason. He understood that the God of heavens deserved every bit of our worship. He deserved every bit of our life. To sin against God is to sin against creation, is to sin against everything. It's cosmic treason. And it's, the penalty is death. So how does he sign off in the chapter? Verse 14. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, of my, li- of my heart, let my lips and my life be acceptable in your sight, God. Lips and life is a sacrifice. It's sacrificial language when he says acceptable. He's saying, make this sacrifice good. You know, I think about this, this has been so convicting for me personally, and, and I've had to respond to it because I knew I was going to get up here and say this say some things to you about this particular verse. And, you know, I'll start, you know, getting into a scuffle with my wife over, over who's going to do the dishes tonight or over something else. And I'll start building my argument of why I've been working really, really hard and why she should do the dishes. And then this verse will pop in my mind. Is the meditation of your heart right in my sight right now? Is it acceptable, Brett? It's like, dang it. i got to repent. When my two-year-old daughter has her cereal and she's woken up at 6 a.m. in the morning and didn't want her to wake up until 7.30 a.m. and she looks at me and grins and then knocks her cereal over and goes, oopsie-daisy, do the words that come out of my mouth, are they acceptable in the sight of God? It's a good test for us to be pure in the sight of God. But he signs off the psalm like this. May they be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Rock, would you anchor my soul in your word, God? Redeemer, when I fail to do your word, would you bring me back? See, here's the amazing thing about God's general revelation that shows his power and his, and his, and his glory and his uh, special revelations, which shows his intimacy with his creation, that there was a divine revelation that came from heaven in Jesus Christ. And he was God in the flesh. And he was powerful. And he was mighty. And he had all of the power of Almighty God. And yet he was intimate and personal and face-to-face with his disciples that he would die and be raised on the third day, that me and you could trust in him, have salvation, but it would not stop there. Ephesians 2.10 would then happen. That we are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you would live a holy life. The word workmanship literally means poem. That you are God's poem to the world. Did you know that? You are God's written poem to the world. He has written his law in your heart. He is teaching you how to obey. He is calling us through the psalm, through David, to a holy life. Think about Elijah 
when he says, right before he calls down fire from heaven, how long will you put up with these two opinions? How long will you continue to serve two gods? How long will you continue playing games? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom. Repent today. Do business with God today. And know this, that God wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to bring you close to him, that you would reflect his glory to the nations. And may God get the glory that is due to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are gracious to us to give us your divine, holy, perfect word. Thank you, Father, that you would graciously move in our hearts even now. Thank you, Father, that you're setting your people apart right now. God, would you continue to set your people apart as they value and bless your holy word? God, would you give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness that we would read your word in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, that we would write it on our doorpost, that we would put it in our heart, that we would speak on it day in and day out everywhere we go, that we would join in with all of creation with the continual and abundant worship of you, almighty God. Please move now. Thank you for being gracious to me to speak. Thank you for your word. Your word is true. Set us apart by your truth. Thank you, Christ, for dying that we might have a relationship. Pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.